Welcome to Life, Love, and Hustle, the podcast that uncovers the story behind the stories of entrepreneurs, artists, and activists making an impact in their business, community, and the culture. Join us for these intimate conversations with ordinary people working to do extraordinary things and hear their journey through struggle, triumph, growth, and change. Now, here's your host, Chad Smith. What's going on? It's your man, Chad Smith, back here on another episode of the Life, Love, and Hustle podcast. And I'm here today with um, a really cool young lady. Met her in Africa, of all places. <laughs> Met her in Africa, of all places. Last year on, on my uh, Tanzania trip, had an opportunity to meet her and her buddy, Alana, two really, really, really great uh, young ladies who are out here doing big things for their communities, for their generation, and soon to be for the world. So uh, I'm talking to Rashida Henry today, and she is a Philadelphia-based counselor. She's a speaker. She's an author. She specializes in millennial mental health. So that's between 21 and 38 years old. I think that's the proper age range. And she's also a mentor for young folks who are looking to get into the counseling and mental health field. So welcome, Rashida. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Man, I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. introduce yourself, you know, for people who don't know who you are all the way in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Absolutely. So Chad, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity um, to be with you on this evening. My name is Rashida Henry, and I'm the CEO and founder of Knows No Face Mental Health and Wellness Counseling and Consulting Company. Uh, we assist millennials between the ages of 21 and 38 with developing insight into that which is holding them back, gaining clarity on career goals, and transitioning into their purpose. And we do that by way of individual counseling, group counseling, trainings, and workshops to educate the um, community on mental health and wellness to decrease the stigma um, of mental health. Listen, and that is amazing because what I really love is that that stigma you're talking about, I've really seen it begin to take a nosedive in recent years. And I think that's because of the millennial generation really saying, hey, no, uh, we're not well, we're going to talk about it. You know, we're not going to hide it anymore. You know, I'm 48. And with my generation, you didn't really talk about mental health that much. So uh, it's great that people like you are bringing it to the forefront, making it okay, and helping people find these uh, resources and solutions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really believe the millennial generation is saying, you know, enough is enough. You know, we are tired of watching our, our mothers and our parents, our fathers suffer. We watched our grandparents suffer, the baby boomer generation. And I think, you know, this millennial, these millennials are saying enough is enough. You know, what can I do to live well, you know, financially, what can I do well to live, to be well physically, emotionally, you know? And so they are seeking out resources and information. Um, don't get me wrong. The stigma does still um, run heavy and pretty thick, especially in the urban communities. But I think that the millennials are becoming very conscious and there's a, an awakening uh, where people want to break free of the emotional bondage that they're experiencing. So what got you into this? Like, uh, what got you into the field in general? Then what made you decide to specialize in that age group? Yeah, so actually, um, my mother 
um, years ago when I was in high school, she was actually pursuing a degree in clinical counseling. And so she went to a school called Eastern University over here in um, PA. And so when I was in high school early on, like I would literally come up to her college campus when she was in pursuing her graduate studies and just kind of like be around campus, kind of like hear the different things that she was doing with no intent to pursue the career path later on. Um, but then, you know, when it was time for me to go to school and um, graduate, I just had a really, really fond interest in um, helping people. But not only that, just an interest in the mind and how the mind worked. And so that was the beginning of me pursuing a degree in um, counseling. But I think that even when I began to pursue my degree in counseling very early on, um, in those years, I did not know how far it would take me in terms of starting a private practice, writing a book, um, and all the other things I have done uh, within the community um, collective. And so how it narrowed specifically to millennials was actually only in the last few years. Um, when writing my book, I had um, gotten various revelations um, after the passing of my brother who died somewhat in that millennial age range. And so I remember just for me as millennial, the ways in which I suffered and the ways in which I watched my brother suffer, I said, you know what? I want to help millennials. I don't want them to feel like they have to wait until they're a certain age or reach a certain economic status to break free of any emotional bondage or heartbreak. I want them to learn how to live well now. And so that's when I just began to kind of really kind of tap in and hone into millennials. Um, so I work with a lot of college age students, um, a lot of people in the like early 20 somethings. And so, yeah, a lot of them are really intrigued and just you hungry, hungry for um, just learning to live a little bit differently in this in this day and time. Okay. Okay, so I I did a little I did a little research. You, you know, I couldn't come on and talk to you without doing some research because I can't have you making me look ignorant. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, so so I pulled up some pulled up some figures here about the millennials and mental health. So they're also called Gen Z. You know, a lot of before they were called millennials, they were called Gen Z, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, it looks like there's about they make up about 20% of the population right now. As of last year, they make up about 20% of the population. So that means mm -hmm. that there's about 68.6 million Gen Zs living in the country right now. And 64% um, of Gen Zs use Instagram at least once a day. Uh, climate change is Gen Z's greatest fear. Climate change. Gen Z is more likely to receive therapy or mental health treatment than any other generation. Um, over one third of social media influencers are Gen Z's and 40% of Gen Z say they plan on leaving their jobs within the next two years. So there are some interesting statistics. So let's, let's take mm -hmm. this one that stands out to me most. So, um, in your experience, how concerned is Gen Z on climate change? Because uh, according to the stats here, it says this is the number one number one fear. Interestingly enough, thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. I didn't know um, the stats on their interest in climate change, and I'm and I actually never did much research into that. So I'm curious as to why. Um, but I'm thinking uh, maybe it has something to do with um, just mood, 
um, and the impact that it may have on one's mood. And just, you know, I know that with millennials in particular, change in general is very diff is very difficult to navigate. So I'm wondering, hmm, maybe it's impact on mood. Not too sure, but it could have a lot to do with that. Not too sure on that one, though. So, well, you said a you said a really interesting word. You said change, change, um, in my experience with the younger generation, because you know I'm super old now, Rashida. Not at all. <laughs> I'm super old, and change can be change can be scary. Change can be uh, can drive anxiety. So, in your experience, um, how have you found the process of change to affect? Um, affect the younger generation's uh, well-being. So interestingly enough with millennials, the ones that I tend to work with um, do better with change than the older generation um, oh, wow. that, um, I've worked, that I've worked with in the past. Um, when it comes to career change, I see more with millennials that there is um, more of um, a willingness to, co to, to career hop as some may call it, um, even with relationships, you know, surprisingly, I see that there is um, more movement when it comes to relationships. And I don't know if that's always the best thing, because I know sometimes with the millennials, there's this um, observation that I have where um, relationships are more disposable and they're like, OK, on to the next with that lingo. I'm not sure if you heard that. Um, but again, even change with relationships, I, I kind of see happen a little bit more um, frequently than the older populations. And then living circumstances, you know, these millennials are moving around. Um, so whereas, you know, our older populations sometimes stay in place um, 30 plus years, 20 plus, plus years, I do see a lot more movement um, in terms of residents with a lot of the millennials not being afraid to uproot from um, their hometowns and take chances in other states, other countries um, we've seen. And we've been to Africa, other continents even, you know, based on some of the millennials we met over in Africa, Chad. Um, yeah. So a lot of the millennials I see um, are comfortable with this idea of like planned change, but that forced change for most human beings is very, very challenging. And that forced change we know comes by way of losing somebody, losing a job, you know, losing a relationship that wasn't expected. So with this planned change, you know, where they're able to kind of be in control of the change and make choices and things like that, um, I see that happening more frequently. But, you know, still we see a lot of struggles as natural with humans with a lot of these elements that are just thrown at us uh, when it comes to change. Yeah, that, that definitely rings true to me. There's something else that um, I also read in these stats, and I'll actually send you the link. It's got a lot of really interesting statistics here, uh, a lot of stuff that I just didn't even know. Um, now, and but you also don't need stats to to see that this generation and what do they call them, Gen Y? I think the ones that are after Gen Z, the millennials, little siblings, is that what they're called? <laughs> Gen Y. I, I, I don't know. So all these letters and labels but the they are yeah 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 the alphabet the alphabet uh, generation the uh they are a lot more involved in um in political and social issues than th than my generation so they are uh, they're a lot more they're a lot more concerned with uh, with racism they're a lot more Absolutely. concerned 
Yeah, already with police brutality, they're 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 concerned with all these things that like they've got the weight of the world on them. And yeah. um, from from what I read, um, it seems like it says over sixty sixty percent sixty percent well sixty one percent of Gen Zs they report feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge just over the past two weeks before they were interviewed. And I I feel like a lot of that. This has to do with the amount of news and information that that is that they're exposed to on a regular basis from all these things that they're concerned about. Definitely. I, I would definitely um, agree. You know, the, the exposure is um, it's everything when you from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed at night. Um, you are hit with the various, you know, murders that happen in the city, the, the homicides that are happening in the city. Then if you're on your phone, you're hit with the, the latest, you know, the sales and you're kind of, you know, compelled to keep up with these various lifestyles and travel that's going on. So um, there's a lot going on in the world. And one of the biggest things that I do check in with my millennials about and talk to my b- millennials about is how can we set boundaries? you know, for yourself Mm. um, as to, you know, just minimizing access to these things all of the time. A lot of times we want to place blame on the world for the various things that we're going through, or we want to, you know, place blame to external circumstances and external forces. I'm not minimizing the systemic issues throughout the world that exist. But one thing that I encourage people to do is definitely take accountability of your life do that self inventory and really evaluate how can you set boundaries for yourself. So that might be not turning on the TV, um, maybe for a day. I know I I watch very little TV because it influences my mood, watching mm. news and things like that. So maybe you know find days and times that you can maybe minimize your um, television watching or your IG scrolling or your Facebook. Um, And I know, you know, for most of our millennials that by way of like marketing for their businesses and advertising for their businesses and staying in contact with family and friends, um, it is a means to do so. However, I really encourage people to set boundaries so that they can begin to have more control over their life, their mood, their emotions, things like that. I think you used the right word control when it comes to their life, because um, says that, uh, well, says here from from what I read that uh, the average millennial is on three screens at all times. They're on <laughs> they're on no less than three screens. They're either uh, their phone, it may be um, their laptop, it might be uh, or a TV at their house. And if and if you have an Apple Watch or an Android Watch, you may even be on a screen on your watch also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I feel like that. Yeah, so I mean, they're they're always connected and 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 they're exposed to all the same things that that go for. You have twenty four hour news cycles. You have twenty four hour Netflix. You've got twenty four hour um, social media. So, um, how do you get? How do you get this screened generation? They've been born and raised around screens. Um, I know how many times I see kids walking around with with their uh, with their uh, with their iPads or or, or the tablet, um, how do you how do you begin to wean <laughs> to wean this generation off their screens and 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 like you said, take more control over their uh, over what they're exposed to. 
Well, I would say the first thing, um, so even when I'm counseling individuals or, you know, even discussing things in conversation, I never propose that anything is a problem. Um, but what I do encourage people to do, if they notice impact that a thing is having on them, really to begin to establish a sense of mindfulness and self-awareness of what might be causing an impact or harm. So again, I, I wouldn't tell anybody like, hey, you think you should lay off the social media or cut down. I, that's not my position to do so. It may not be a problem for them. But if you notice that your mood is being impacted, if you notice that you're developing an addiction, if you notice that you can't do without it, it might be time to do a self-assessment and really reflect on, hey, is this impacting me? How is it impacting me? And might be it a good idea for me to scale back? And again, scaling back looks differently for everybody. You yeah. know, for me, it might be, be doing a social media fast for like a month or so, which I'm in the middle of, you know. Um, for others, it might be just, you know, having a window of time a day to check in on social media and Facebook. So you really have to evaluate for yourself um, what boundaries you want to set up for your life. Because again, due to people's jobs, social media, marketing, all of that might be a heavy part of your income source and your driving force to your business. So you really have to individually assess how you can set boundaries around time. But I do encourage um, just a few things to consider is, again, with time blocking. Um, time blocking is a suggestion where you just, again, create a block of time where you just want to set to check in with these platforms so you're not constantly scrolling. Um, some of the phones, such as iPhone, Android, I know have these, um, um, I don't know if it's called a do not disturb feature or these certain features where I think like after a certain time you can set it where you can't get into like your Instagram or your Facebook. Mm. They have these different features on the phones now where you can actually um, not have access to those platforms so that you can actually just kind of just chill, you know, rush your brain. So I would definitely encourage things like that. And just ultimately like this whole element of mindfulness. I know we use that loosely, but it's so huge. Just being mindful of how social media and your constant access to it um, could be potentially influencing you. And if it is influencing you in a negative way, how can you then proceed to make change? Do you feel like social media is inherently dangerous? I, I think that um, nothing, I think that it has its pros and cons. I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, I think that, you know, for instance, a person, and I know, follow me, here's where I'm going with this. I'm a person that comes from a background of addiction. So I've worked with um, people that have um, had addictions and, you know, struggle with addictions all throughout their life. People that don't struggle with addictions always look to the population that I worked with with a lot of judgment. You have a choice. Why are you doing that? Da, 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 da. You can stop. No one told you to do that, right? But for me, just looking, looking from an observation standpoint, there are so many other addictions that exist outside of substances. And I would say the social media realm has become very, very, very addictive for many people, including millennials, you know? So I think that um, it really, really, I think we have to really, like I referenced before, take inventory on if this is something that we need to begin to um, set boundaries with, um, scale back from. 
and maybe it maybe it's not your thing. Maybe social media is not your thing, but maybe it's something else. So really, it, even if it's not social media, maybe it's um, on being on the phone. Maybe it's food consumption. Um, you know, there's various things that we struggle with. Um, but I really think that it's important just to take an inventory to assess what has control over our lives. And if these things continue to, you know, pervasively take control of our lives, how might we rearrange our lives so that we can take that control? Mm, good. I love that. Yeah, I definitely love that because I think um, helplessness is a hell of a thing. You know, if you um, if you don't feel like you've got control, like that's a basic human need. If you, if you have to believe that you, you're in control of your life. And if you don't, I can fully understand why, why that would adversely affect someone. Um, they may not even know it. Exactly. So um, in your practice, so let me ask you this. Um, we also know that this generation is has the the highest percentage of attempted suicides and suicides of any past generation. And we're even seeing it younger than this generation. So it seems like this is a really troubling development in the younger generation. It's this feeling of hopelessness and this feeling of like, of a, I just can't be here anymore. Um, so what advice would you give to people who have, um, who have, or, or who have millennials in their life? Like uh, what advice would you give them for checking in and just making sure that uh, people don't really feel that sense of, loneliness or separation? Yeah, I would say one of the things to really consider um, with millennials, because I have these conversations quite often when um, like the parents reach out to me with concern for their millennial children or even their millennial grandchildren. But one of the things I would definitely say is to not ignore the signs. Um, you know, a lot of times and not all the time, but a lot of times when we do see these, um, you know, these acts of suicide um, occur, you know, usually people will say after that there were warning signs or they saw things um, kind of leading up. And so I would definitely say don't ignore the warning signs, you know, make it a point to check in with your children. One of the things I take pride in um, when I was coming up and I noticed that it is not done so much anymore is that when I was growing up, my parents, like when we came home from school, when my mom finished cooking dinner, we all sat at the table and we talked. Their their whole cell phones, you know, being in your phone and all of that wasn't a thing. When my mom cooked dinner, we all sat, we all came down, we sat at the table, we talked, and we ate together. And if you didn't sit down to eat when everybody else ate, you didn't eat. <laughs> so <laughs> That's right. To say, you know, that opportunity to sit around the table is time to really check in. You know, and granted, you know, there's some conversations I wasn't comfortable to have with my parents over the table, but they were still able to look me in my face. They were kind of able to see if my countenance changed. You can tell when people that you know and love and see every day, you can tell when their countenance has changed, meaning you can tell where their mood maybe has shifted or you can tell when they're not being themselves. And so opportunities to be around your loved ones and kind of look them in the face versus texting or calling um, it really makes a difference versus, you know, kind of navigating over the social media. So I say that to say, you know, make family time and checking in with your, your youth, your children, millennials, make it a part of your intention, make it, make it part of your to do. Um, you know, for me, texting doesn't get it, you know, with certain, um, 
with my family members. Like I need to put eyes on them. You know, I even I have a brother that's on the road and trucking. And so I don't get to him quite often, but I'm looking forward to seeing him so I can put eyes on him because you get a different, you're making a different assessment of a person when you're in person versus over the phone or over social media. So that would be my number one, just to not ignore the warning signs. And then number two, just don't be afraid to reach out to help. You know, um, like you here, Chad, are offering this platform where you're sharing resources, you're opening up um, a discussion. I think that this here is so necessary where we can talk about what's bothering us, what's what's ailing us and present resources so people can live well. So just don't be afraid to reach out for help if it's needed. Well, speaking of that, you know, I got more statistics for you. Love it. Love it. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I love yeah, it. <laughs> I got I got some more. So, while uh while this generation tends to be um the most anxious, the most nervous, they tend to be um, the most, according to numbers, down hopeless or helpless. The good news is, here's some good news. Okay, so 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 the good news is, is that um, they also are uh, more likely to seek out therapy or mental health treatment more than any other generation. So, 37% of Gen Zs have sought out treatment for mental health issues, and that stacks up uh, like this. So. Um, 35% receive, have received mental health treatment. Only 26 of us Gen Xers have sought out mental health treatment. Um, 22% of boomers and 15% of the silent generation have done the same. So, um, it's good. So that tells me that at least they're recognizing when they're not well, they're willing to admit it and they're willing to seek out help. Yes. I would definitely agree. Um, and, you know, I would just add to that. I, I think that um, the media and what we see um, on television is making it um, more is, is it's, it's becoming more popular. Like the stigma is beginning to drop. The veil is beginning to drop because you hear more people um, talking about its effectiveness. Um, you hear more celebrities talking about the benefits of, you know, seeking therapy and, you know, engaging in all these other wellness tools. And so that helps kind of destigmatize, um, you know, this notion of getting help, you know, and before, you know, for a lot of the older generations, this idea of therapy or seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist was connected with this notion of one needing to be crazy or someone having a mental health diagnosis. While there's nothing wrong with having a mental health diagnosis, you know, from a lot of people, um, they play stigma you know, to people that have it. Um, but I just remind people that, you know, while there is no issue with you seeking counseling for a mental health diagnosis, even those that don't have a diagnosis, it is okay to seek therapy. There are a lot of individuals on my caseload that come to see me and work with me that actually aren't diagnosed with a mental health diagnosis and actually don't meet criteria for a mental health diagnosis. Mm. So just, just like a doctor kind of, you know, you go to a doctor for pre preventative care, um, not just for issues, same thing with mental health. You know, you don't have to have a diagnosis to go to a therapist. You can go for preventative care. My favorite line is prepare for war in a time of peace. Don't wait till someone dies to seek a counselor. Don't wait till you lose your job or your relationship to seek a counselor. You want to be preparing and building the coping skills so that when these catastrophes happen, which is a given, you can, you can be be prepared and you have that psychological flexibility and emotional bandwidth bandwidth excuse me to not be able to be knocked off of your course 
Um, so I think that preventative um, element in terms of seeking counseling is one that is needs to be emphasized as well. I totally agree. I think it's great that people seek out or or seeking seeking it out more because I know when I was at my lowest point when I when I got into therapy, I tell everyone it literally saved my life. I, I, I mean, I can't, I'm not afraid to, uh, to say that when I was at a really low point in my life to where I didn't even recognize myself. Like I knew I needed help. And when I got that help, it was like 4,000 pounds were lifted off my back and I could, I could mm. think clearly. I felt more like myself again. And I definitely, especially black men, uh, if you're going through stuff, uh, I'm here to tell you it, it's, it, it can literally save your life and, and change your life all at the same time. So what do you say to people who look at these statistics and they, uh, they see that the millennial generation is the most um, therapied, is that a word? Therapied? The most therapied <laughs> generation in history. And, and, they, and they'll use that to say that they're the softest generation. What do you say to people who, who, who talk like that? that say they're the softest generation? Yeah, that say that millennials are mentally weak or they're somehow soft. Oh, wow. That, you know, this is the type of conversation I like to have. Why do I say that? Because one of the things that I do when I work with my millennials is we 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 define, we, we kind of create our own definitions. Because one of the things that happens is, especially I see this a lot with men, is when you talk about therapy, there's this idea of weakness. Well, if we talk about being vulnerable, you know, talking about your feelings, there's this element of weakness that um, is associated. So I encourage my millennials to really think about redefining what your life looks like. So for me, you know, when you think about how challenging it is sometimes for one to express yourself by way of their emotions and expressing how they're feeling, that's not easy. So for me, it is strong when an individual is able to do that when they're able to cry, when they're able to express that, you know what, I'm struggling, I'm afraid. When they're able to do that, that is a sign of strength for me. And so I encourage people to really, really try to redefine things for your life. Redefine what strength is. You know, really redefine these things because what you identify as a definition will really um, kind of proceed with how you create these narratives in your um in your life and those narratives are the driving force um for how you think and how you feel and then how you believe and so when we can really kind of recreate the narrative what we believe is weak or what we think is unlovable or what we think is a strong person or what we think is this and that we can really begin to change the course of our lives and so i would definitely say you know whoever is carrying this notion that you know millennials or gen zers are weak because they're seeking help first of all i would release that notion altogether but really begin to just redefine things in your life redefine words to fit your narrative to fit the narrative that best serves you yes ma'am listen you better tell them because <laughs> i think this man it, i think it's got to do with this whole this whole american cowboy culture where mm. you're supposed to you're supposed to just suck it up you know you're supposed to uh. just you know be tough and you're supposed to you know power through it well you know i guess that's also why uh that's also why, why we have like 50 year old men dying of heart attacks 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we're keeping all this stuff inside. We're not sharing it. And I, again, I applaud. I call them these kids because, you know, I'm an old man. I applaud these I applaud these kids for just having the courage to speak about it. It takes courage, in my opinion, to be able to admit where you have some struggles and then being able to 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 speak on it and actually want to get better. So now one thing that's controversial also uh, in your world is also uh, what some people would say the over-medication of America. So in your experience, um, you know, is there any truth to the belief that America is over-medicated when it comes to mental health? Um, I believe that there, that could be a thing. I don't know the statistics on that. Um, but I will say I'm in, in my work over the years, I've had kind of like varying, um, degree populations in which I've worked. So I've worked with super psychotic populations, very acute people that have like schizophrenia, bipolar, things of that. And so, um, in order for those individuals to most of, I won't say all, cause I don't want to generalize, but for most of the individuals to be at a place where they can reach a therapeutic level to do things with them, such as therapy, they do need that medication management um, aspect involved. Um, but not solely. They need it combined with evidence-based practice and whatever other case management things in place in order to get them to be functional. So that's that population, which is a very small um percentage of the population. Um, but then there's a lot of millennials that I work with on the other end of um, the world who aren't dealing with various acute um, illnesses. They may just have very, you know, transitional things that they're going through, transitional things that they're trying to navigate and they're unmedicated. Um, and for a lot of them, one thing that I suggest is really before you even get to a place of considering medication management is really let's kind of unpack this thing from a holistic perspective. You know, we're not just looking at isolating the mental health, what's going on with your mental health. We're not isolating your physical health and your spiritual. How can we look at all of this combined and make an assessment of what changes need to be made before we introduce this idea of medication? So I know when I'm working with my clients, we try to evaluate things from a holistic uh, perspective, mind, body, and soul. You know, what are you eating like? Because your food consumption impacts your mental health. You know, mm. what does your physical health look like or the lack thereof? That impacts your mental health. Are you able to be authentic? Do you feel like you're able to express your spirituality? All of those things impact your mental health presentation. So before we even get to a discussion about medication, um, we're having that discussion first, the holistic discussion first. Now, I don't know the statistics on um, psychiatric, psychotropic medications when it comes to um, your question. Um, the reason why I say that is because there is still a very high stigma for the black community um, around taking psychotropic medications. And I'm not talking for the highly acute um, individuals that I work, previously worked with like schizophrenia, things like that. But for the millennials that I work with, they're very, very, um, you know, they want to make it a last resort. You know, they're, they're kind of like, you know, like kind of leaning away from it. So I'm wondering, you know, Chad, what the statistics are um, for millennials um, who are not necessarily diagnosed seeking um, medications because I know for the individuals I work with a lot of times they don't want it you know they mm. want alternative holistic options you know 
um, unless they're in a deep distress where they feel like they don't have options, then they're jumping to that. So I'm very interested in seeing um, in this day and time what the statistics are for millennials and psychotropic medications specifically, not so much the medical, but the psychotropic medications. Well, it sounds like I just got some homework. <laughs> Listen, you can't come on my show and give me homework, Rashida. Come on, man. I work hard enough out in these streets. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so talking about, talking about jobs and careers. So it says here that um, most Gen Z's who plan on leaving their jobs within the next two years say they're not satisfied with their organization's impact on society. So it seems like social issues have a much larger influence on a millennial's decision to, uh, to accept or stay at a job. So what's your experience been on that or, or what's your view on that? Yeah, uh, you know, I definitely um, would agree with that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of these millennials, they, you know, want to um, not only make higher incomes, but they also want the ability to express themselves. And so when they're kind of operating in these positions that don't afford any opportunity for upward mobility or don't afford any opportunities for growth and they feel stuck, um, a lot of times they are ready to um, reroute. And so um, definitely I, I, I think that these companies that exist um, just need to keep the, the ever-changing, ever-evolving millennial in mind as they create um, these um, positions where they kind of think about the traje trajectory of their company's progression. I'm really keeping things in mind, such as mobile um, task force or whatever. I call it mobile task force. But like we saw that when the pandemic happened, um, there were a lot of companies that were able to work, offer work from home opportunities or these hybrid models and things like that. And so because, um, you know, I see that millennials really want this um, element of being able to have flexibility with their jobs, being able to be at work, but then able to go ahead and hop on the plane and, you know, have the freedom to do this and that or have a side business and things like that. I think that these companies really need to keep the millennial in mind as they begin to, you know, just forward think about what careers will look like in the future. Yeah. Okay. So, so talking about careers. So you also work with, with a teenager who teenagers who express interest in getting involved in the mental health field. So the, um, um, so what advice do you typically give for an interested, say like 16 year old high school student who says, Hey, I want to help people. I want to get involved in the mental health field. So how do you begin to advise them on, uh, if it's right for them and then how to succeed in that field? Um, one of the things I would definitely say to millennials is to not millennials, but the teens, excuse me, is to really lead with an open mind. Um, one of the things that when I was coming into the field very early on is I was discouraged to enter the field because one of the things that was always told to me about social workers and counselors and therapists in their room is that they don't make money, right? And so by that alone, if you kind of just lead with that in mind, you won't, you know, you won't want to pursue um, the career field. But one of the things I would tell to the young people is just like, there is just a vast array of opportunities 
um, as it relates to mental health, um, from corporate to being in private practice in your own business to there being an array of things um, that exist um, in, you know, various nonprofit sectors and, you know, public sectors, government, things like that. So, you know, mental health is a field that is in high demand. Um, but one of the things I just don't want young people to be discouraged by is this, this notion that go be a nurse, go be a, a medical doctor, go to the medical field because mental people in the mental health don't make money. I think where that notion comes from is there are a lot of lower paying jobs and there are a lot of um, jobs that do overwork um, their employees that are in the mental health sector. Um, but just like any other um, career field, um, there is a way, you know, there's a way to, again, be in business for yourself. There's a way to create business for yourself um, where you can be creative and bringing your niche to the world um, to create change. And so I just encourage our millennials not to be discouraged by that, those you know narratives that you hear. And then also seek a mentor. One of the reasons why um, I kind of created um, this idea of this mentorship with the young people is because I remember when I was going to college and then graduate school and then getting licensed and all of that, I felt like I did it the long way. Like I wasted a lot of time and I don't, I'll take that back. I didn't waste because everything happened divinely, but I feel like there were things that I probably could have done differently. And so a mentorship is very helpful because when you can seek a mentor, they might can help you to maybe lessen the amount of years you spend in school. Or I remember for me, when I was getting licenses, two different licenses, um, I later found out that there was one exam that I could have took for both licenses versus the two that I took that were like $300 each. So little things like that, um, I think a mentor would be very helpful to help you kind of get over that hump of trying to figure things out by yourself and to also see the vast opportunities that are available to you. That's dope, man. I, you know, these teenagers, they need they need a lot of guidance. It doesn't matter what industry they're in, but with something like mental health and uh, that sort of thing. You gotta, you've had, you, you have to do it for the right reasons and you have to have the right expectations also. Yes, I definitely agree. I definitely <laughs> agree. Yep. And I know instantly with this particular field, especially this field, like, you know, like if it's for you, you know, instant, you know, instantly it's for you. Um, but definitely I would encourage you, like, if you have a heart for it, you have a passion for it, you know, find, find your, find your place here, find your place. Um, because it's definitely needed, especially African-American providers, you know, that relatability, that being able to advocate, uh, for people that look like us in black and brown communities, you know, um, is so necessary. So we need you. So definitely consider opportunities in mental health, I would say. I dig it, man. Well, listen, I was reminded by our, uh, by our mutual friend and my uh, my love, Renee Miller, I was reminded <laughs> that I've been neglecting to ask the final question. And the final question is the most important <laughs> question on this show, most important question. And I've been neglecting, I've been, I've, I got off it. So I'm gonna get back on it <laughs> with you. You get the honor of answering the final question. Are you, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you ready? Yep, I can hear you now. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, it's okay. Great. Okay, listen. You have to get rid of one of these actors in all their work. You ready for this? Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Will Smith, Morgan Freeman, or Denzel Washington. One's got to go along with all their work. Who's going to be? 
You must be kidding me. <laughs> uh, you might need I, some I, mental health after this question. Yes. You know, they're all they're all really great contributors. Um one's gotta go, Rashida. You know, Chad, you know, <laughs> they, they all are such great contributors. Um wow. Wow. <laughs> come on, come on, one's gotta go. Is it gonna wow. be Will, Denzel, or Morgan? Who's it gonna be? Mm. <laughs> You know what? So, and, and the reason why I'm going to choose this individual is because I know the least about his contributions. I know okay. that he's been a great contributor, but I know the least about his con- contributions. So this is not to minimize any of the work he does, but it's for my ignorance, Morgan Freeman. Oh, you're fired. We can't be friends. And I can't say, see, so you probably wanted me to say Will, but Will is from Philly. <laughs> no. From Philly, and I refuse. And Denzel, that was a trick question. <laughs> Denzel is amazing. Denzel is so amazing, and I know a lot about his work. So only Morgan Freeman, not because he's the least, but because I just don't know as much about his work. But wow, I know man. I've seen a lot of a lot of his movies. I know he's amazing too. But you know, I'm gonna have to have Renee talk to you about that. You know, you know, we're gonna do it off air. We're not gonna do it on on, on air. We're gonna do it off air. Well, who was your choice? <laughs> Will Will's out of here. That's because he's had a lot of highlights in the news, but I, you know, no, what? I like no, this. no. Will I, has I really like Will's got a collection of very forgettable movies. <laughs> he's had like two classics. Oh, I like. I'm Will. Not... I, I really do. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. I well, really look. Like... I... I'm not. I'm not going to press you on this. If 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 we want to get more information on your services, your courses, your upcoming speaking gigs, and 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 your your current book and your new books, where can we find more information? Yeah. So on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, um, you can find me at Nose No Face, and that's K N O W S N O F A C E. Nose No Face, as in. You know, this mental health thing, it knows no face. It's not specific to culture. It's not specific to complexion. We all need to seek mental health and make it a priority. So all my platforms at Knows No Face, or you can go to my website, knowsnoface.com, www.knowsnoface.com, where you can learn more about our services, learn more about um, the book that I've offered, and connect with me. I, I really encourage you to connect with me, not only if you're seeking a counselor, but if you just need more information about mental health and wellness, definitely reach out. That's dope. Hey, listen, Rashida, I love you. I love your work. And uh, make sure you tell your buddy, Alana, I said hello. Most definitely. Thank you so much. See you soon. Hey, and as always, fam, if you like what you heard today, even if you didn't, I don't you know, I mean, even, even if you didn't like it, you know, hook a brother up. Give us a five-star rating on your favorite pl- uh, podcast platform. Also, share this post. Share this episode with your friends and family on your socials. Um, and if you use the hashtag Life Love Hustle Show, you may even get a prize. You never know. I'm very generous, you know? So I might give you a free copy of Rashida's book. You never know. But take us out. That's it for today. And as always, make sure you get out there, live your life, love your peeps, and hustle hard. Peace. Thank you for joining us today on Life Love and Hustle. We appreciate you and your support more than you know. If you found this episode helpful, 
please share it with someone who could benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook to continue the conversation and get exclusive access to even more content. We're grateful for your loyalty and we can't wait to see you hustle your way to success. We'll be here for you every step of the way. Thank you.